All right, so tonight we're going to begin Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to read the last two chapters of Ruth. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself that you may have right, my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. 
So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today, and I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah. And become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Amenadab. And to Amenadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. So in Ruth chapter 3, we open a few months after the events of Ruth chapter 2, where Boaz meets Ruth and tells her to glean in his field only, not to stray from there, but to stay in that field. And he gives her that protection and that additional support in having his servants leave those additional uh, sheaves and gleanings uh, to make her job a little bit easier as she's gleaning the field there. And so four months is a pretty long time, right? A long time to spend with a group of people, Uh, Maybe you get to know people a little bit better over that amount of time, working together. But Naomi here sees an opportunity. So we are at the end of the harvest, and Naomi has a plan. It's a plan to give security to her daughter-in-law, right? So in chapter 1, we remember that part of why Naomi wanted Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab was because... There was no other hope, right? She wasn't going to have any more sons. There is no one to redeem them. It's just done. I, I am alone, and that's how it's going to be, and it's done. So don't come with me. This is not going to be pleasant, right? But Ruth said, no, I'm going to go. And so now we have a change. Now there's some hope. There's a change in the situation, right? We have Boaz, who is a close relative, who we've interacted with. Naomi's seen these interactions or heard about them from Ruth. And so there's some hope here that maybe he will redeem Ruth. And so Naomi has a plan. The plan is get dressed up, find out where he's lying down, uncover his feet, and lay down. Does that seem like a weird engagement plan to anybody? Um... Seems a little odd. Uh, 
why is Naomi giving Ruth this advice? Um, I think it's similar to what we talked about last week in that Naomi isn't from this culture, right? She's from Moab. And the Moabites probably have some different things going on there, right? Um, She may not know how to proceed here, right? How do we get this going? Ruth may not have any idea. So her mother-in-law gives her this advice. Here's what you need to do. And, you know, it may seem very odd to us, you know, this plan of get dressed up, but don't go see him yet. When he's, after he's fallen asleep, then uncover his feet. It's the perfect moment, right? Um, It seems odd to us, but when you think about it, yeah, there's cultural differences all over the place, right? Uh, When we are going to ask someone to marry us, men, typically we give a ring, right? There's a ring that's given. We don't show up and say, hey, here's my 500 camels for your hand in marriage, right? I don't, anybody, anybody exchange camels? No? Okay. Um, but, you know, during Abraham's time when he was looking for a wife for his son, yeah, that was the, the exchange rate, right? That's what was used to show interest, right? And so, yeah, we have these cultural differences, things like that. We shouldn't be uh, confused or maybe like put off by these things, right? This was the culture of the day. So this may not have been that uncommon. When you're looking into this, though, there are some things that pop up that I think are just wrong. For instance, uncovering the feet. What does that mean, really? Um, I, I tend to think it means we're uncovering the feet. Yes, sir. I know that if I was sleeping and someone pulls the covers off of my feet, I'm going to wake up. Yeah. I think that's the, the motive behind uncovering the feet is to draw attention to the fact that I'm here. Right. Right. It's a very non-intrusive way to wake somebody up who's sleeping. Right. What, what's a, another way to, to not startle someone when they're sleeping? Well, if you're going to uncover their feet, don't be standing over them. Right? When they wake up. That's probably not a great idea either, right? So this instruction to lay down at his feet, yeah, that makes sense if you're trying not to scare somebody or think that they're being attacked, right? Bruce. I think it's also a showing of humility of her. Uh, to lay at his feet. He had been so good to her, and he had been caring for her and nourishing, and she lays at his feet. Later on, she'll say, uh, you know, spread your garment over me, which is an old Hebrew uh, phrase. If we bring it into the modern age, take me under your wing. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost a a humble uh, pleading position of her uh, to continue his care. Yeah, it's true. It's, it kind of adds emphasis to that as well, right? You're already at the feet, the feet are uncovered, and you're saying, you know, throw the covering over me as well, right? Give me that protection as well. So it adds emphasis and symbolism maybe to that, that please. Well. 
What it's not, though, I don't believe, is uh, what some would say which, or suggest, which is that it's some kind of, of sexual innuendo that's going on here. Um, to me, that's somebody wanting to create their own story, craft this story in their own way, right? They're wanting to make it romantic and 21st century and Hollywood, right? So they want to add all this stuff in. Where I don't think it is. The, the word uncover, if you look up other times that word is used, it is used to sometimes refer to nakedness. Uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 21, it's used talking about Noah and his nakedness being uncovered. In Exodus and Leviticus, uh, it's used talking about uh, as far as the old law is concerned and how you are not to uncover one's nakedness, whether that's in regards to your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your mother-in-law, or all these different relationships, right? Don't uncover their nakedness. But the Bible is very clear when it's talking about sexual intercourse between two people, right? It is very clear in that. There's not a lot of moments where the Bible leaves that up to interpretation, right? And I, I think that's the case here. Where it says, uncover his feet, that's not suggesting something different than what it is. Yes, Bruce? I think verse 11, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not part of the character of these two people that we're talking about, right? And again, I think that's individuals putting their own ideas and wants and desires into a story that they're twisting to their own desires, Right? Um, and so let's not, let's not fall into that. Again, possible explanations. Well, yeah, it's a great way to wake somebody up uh, without being intrusive. You lay down so they don't think you're trying to, you know, murder them or something. Um, there's no violence happening, right? Don't want to start off the conversation with that uh, going on, right? Think about it, though, from Ruth's perspective. Naomi gives her this advice. Okay, now Ruth has a choice, right? She has a choice. What can she do? She can take the advice or not, <laughs> right? I think that this shows a lot of trust in Naomi by Ruth, right? Ruth is showing her trust in Naomi at this point. I don't know what's going to happen here, but my mother-in-law says, do these things, and, and it can provide me security. So, okay, I'll do these things, right? I will get washed. I'll put on my best. I'll go down there. I'll wait until after he's eaten and, and drunk and he's fallen asleep. I'll see where that is. I will uncover his feet and I will lie down. And so what happens? Ruth does that. Boaz wakes up. <laughs> he's a little startled. Feet are cold. Who's this laying at my feet? And, and Ruth says, it's me. Spread your covering over me. Um, verse 10, Boaz says, may you be blessed to the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Naomi had a lot of options here. 
as far as the time period in Judges, are the people bound by the law at this point in time? Like the the general idea of the culture, do they care a whole lot about the law? I mean, no, right? We're told in Judges that they care about what they want to do. And if the law lines up with what they want to do, okay, sure. But if it doesn't, okay, I'll do it my way, right? I don't really care, right? Nobody's really forcing me into that. So if I want to, I will. And if I don't, I won't, right? So if Ruth wanted to, she could have found anybody to marry. But she chose to wait and to follow through with Naomi's plan, right? She chose to wait on this redeemer. And he may not have been the youngest option out there, right? We don't know specifically the age difference between Ruth and Boaz, but it seems like there's, there's some difference. Um, does it matter? No, not really, right? It doesn't really change the situation. Um, but it does show uh, Ruth's character in that she is looking for something that is better than these minor physical things, right? These smaller things. Um, and that's not something that was popular during that time, right? So this idea of your first or the second kindness is better than the first. What's the first kindness? Might have questions about that. Ruth says, uh, or Boaz says, you're, you're the second kindness. This would be the second kindness, right? Waiting to, and asking Boaz, showing Boaz you're interested. Okay, that's the second kindness. What's the first kindness? Could be taking care of Naomi. We're not exactly sure. It doesn't really say. It just says, this kindness is better than whatever that first one was, right? Now, we do know that Boaz appreciated the care and concern that Naomi had, or that Ruth had for Naomi, right? But we're not specifically told here that that is that first kindness. Now, you could probably make an educated guess that maybe that is related, right? Maybe it's tied in there. But again, remember, we're talking about four months have gone by. There could have been some other kindnesses that happened in that four-month period, you know? Uh, we don't know. Maybe she brought him a nice coat. Alan. I do think, like, I agree, we don't fully know. I do think there's potential maybe to harmonize this point with what we were just talking about. You know, earlier in the book, Boaz does commend her for something kind she has done. He's, everyone's heard about what you've done for Naomi. And as you were just saying, Ruth, months have passed, weeks to months, this period of time, she could have found someone else to marry. There's, there's other guys. Even Boaz says, you didn't go after the young guys, which maybe seem more logical. They're younger. They're maybe more able to give you another, give you a child. But if she marries someone else, that helps her. That doesn't help Naomi because this new guy has nothing. He has no tie to Naomi. But by marrying a redeemer, Naomi is also going to be taken care of, right? Yeah. So I, I don't think it's it's too out of line to think Boaz is saying the fact that you've set aside a more expedient you know solution for yourself 
to find one that still helps Naomi, that's even better than when you came here in the first place to take care of her. It's kind of seems like he might be referencing that as well. And Ruth is just continuing to put others ahead of just something that would help herself potentially, I think, with this. It's true. It's true. It fits with, uh, you know, what we've already known about Ruth's character. Any other comments? In verse 10, Boaz accepts, basically, right? Verse 10, he accepts this interest. He says, yeah, we can... uh, you know, we, I didn't know you were interested, right? But I guess you are. So, all right, let's do this. Verse 11, though, he says, I will do what, for you whatever you ask for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Uh, it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Here's the plot twist in the Hallmark movie. What do we do? He's not the closest. Um. Well, Boaz says, I'll f- we'll, f- we'll fix it, right? We'll figure it out. So what's Boaz's plan? Go to the close relative, let him know his options. If he accepts, then there you go. If he doesn't, then I'll, I'll redeem you, right? And again, we talked about in chapter 2, when it first introduced Boaz, it says Boaz is a man of great force, right? A man of great worth. And when Boaz is going to get something done, what does he do? He gets it done, right? He decided to protect Ruth, and he did everything he could in chapter 2 to protect Ruth, right? Go Glean from my field only. Servants, you don't touch her. You don't say bad things to her. You help her out even, right? And so, yeah, if Boaz is going to get it done, he's going to get it done. And so he says, there's a closer relative. Now, what does that say about Boaz? He has integrity, right? Again, we're talking about the same time period where Ruth could have just gone to whoever and married them. But no, she's following the customs of the law as, you know, Naomi is directing her to. Boaz as well could have just said, yeah, let's do this and then married her, right? Would anybody have objected? Probably not during this time period. But no, Boaz knows there's a relative that's even closer. And in following the law, what does that require? Requires knowledge of the law. He has to know it, first of all, right? It also requires what? Yeah, that first redeemer has to have the right of refusal, right? So they have to go to him first. And if he refuses, then Boaz can can redeem her. And Boaz knows this. And so he says, okay, we have to wait. We have to talk to that other redeemer and figure it out, right? But he says, my daughter, do not fear. Uh, I will do for you whatever you ask. And so the, the Boaz then says, just remain here. Why didn't he just send her home? I mean, again, remember, it's the middle of the night. You're, you know, you don't just send a lone woman home in the middle of the night, right? Not a good time to do that. Again, see the end of Judges, right? Not a good time. Um, so stay here. And then early in the morning, they wake up, and Boaz says, go your way and go see Naomi. No, no. He says, give me your cloak. Okay, here's six measures of barley, and then go back to Naomi, right? That's the, that's the promise. That's the, the engagement ring, right? That's the, the dowry, right, that would be given at the time, right? I think about this. 30 years from now, are people going to be saying, yeah, those, they, it was really strange. They used to give a ring to the person to marry them. It's odd, you know? I don't know. 
Um, but cultural things like that change, right? So in this time, he gives Naomi the, or gives Ruth the measures of barley, and Ruth leaves and goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, how did it go? <laughs> right? And so Ruth tells her everything that happened and says, here's the six measures of barley, for he said, don't go empty-handed. And Naomi, knowing the character of Boaz, says, it's not going to take very long, right? We'll wait because he'll be back today, right? Again, knowing the character of Boaz, you know he's not going to dawdle on this, right? He's going to get it done. And beginning in chapter 4, that's exactly what happens, right? So now in chapter 4, beginning in verses 1 through 10, we get to the part about the kinsman redeemer, right? This is where that kinsman redeemer law comes into play. So thinking about that law of the kinsman redeemer, or uh, some would say the Levrite marriage law, um, what we're talking about here is Law discussed in Leviticus chapter 25 and Deuteronomy chapter 25. Now, the last time Deuteronomy chapter 25 was taught here, Brother Brian Bain led us through that study of Deuteronomy, the uh, fourth quarter of 2021. So it's been a while. If you want to go look it up, it was actually December, uh, or excuse me, June 2nd, 2021. So not the fourth quarter, second quarter. But... That's only part of what's discussed here, really. That's the name part of this law. So that redeeming part, right, where the kinsman redeemer, that part in Deuteronomy is really more talking about preserving the name of the family. This section in Ruth, I think, actually ties into two different parts of the law. So Leviticus chapter 25 is talking about the land part. So in Leviticus chapter 25, it's if your countrymen cannot afford their circumstances, they have to sell a piece of property. They can sell it, but they can only sell it for a certain amount of time. And then that property can be bought back or it can be redeemed by a family member. And the idea behind that is in Leviticus 25 verse 23, who owns the land that the Israelites are on right now? Yeah, God owns the land, right? Israel does not own this land. They are here and they're inhabiting it and they did a very poor job of running the previous occupants off of the land, but God owns the land. So who gave that land to the different tribes? Judges chapter one, it says, God gave this land to Judah. Right? So, again, we're talking about the tribe of Judah here. The tribe of Judah has this land because God gave it to them. So, if a member of the tribe of Judah needs to sell a piece of their property, is it theirs to sell forever to whoever they want? No, right? Because they don't own it. God owns it. And so, God set up laws for that. And that law is, you can sell it for a time, but then it can be redeemed. And that makes sense, right? This is the promised land. It's owned by God. And so you don't have the right to sell it forever to whoever you want, right? You can't sell it to a Moabite for the end of time because it's not your land, right? God gave it to you. And God is preserving that land for his nation as given in the promise to who? 
Abraham, right? Yeah, so the promise all the way back to Abraham. So that's that first part of uh, that redeemer uh, law. The second part is the name. Why is it important to preserve the name of the individuals? Why do we have to preserve the family name here? Yeah, for the family, for the descendants. Think about it even though when you're talking about these ideas of these promises that were given by God, right? Through whose seed is all nations of the earth blessed? Abraham's seed, right? So how do we prove that? It's through the genealogy. So how do you preserve the genealogy? Well, if there's a gap in the genealogy because a son dies before he can have children, then how do you continue that lineage on so that you can preserve the genealogy for when Christ Christ comes to this earth? You have to have a solution, right? And so here's the solution, right? This preserving of the name in Deuteronomy 25. You, the son, if he dies, his brother marries that wife to continue the name and that child will be named after, the fa- after his brother, right? Not after the, the father, but after his brother so that that name can continue on. There is one record of this happening before now in the Bible. Does anybody know where that is? Hmm? Numbers 27? Oh, okay, I'm wrong. There's two. That's not the one I know. <laughs> It's Tamar, right? Tamar and Judah. And, and it's kind of interesting that Tamar and Judah is the example that's here because that's who they, they say you're going to be like at the end of the chapter, right? You'd be like the child that Tamar had by Judah. But if you remember that story, it's not very pleasant, right? It, it's not a happy story, right? We, uh, we actually were taught that uh, in December of 2020 by Leland, who was going through Genesis at the time. You may not remember back that far. We kind of had a pandemic and everything. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, But Judah had some sons from a Canaanite woman. And those sons, uh, the first son married Tamar. And then the Lord killed him because he was wicked, right? So Judah told his brother, it's your responsibility to go into his wife and to have a son. Or have a child to carry on the name. And the brother went in and didn't do the job and God killed him because it was displeasing, right? And so then Judah says, wait for my other son to grow up. And then when he's of age, then you can marry him and we'll, we'll try it again. But he never you know, gave that son to Tamar or, or sent that son to fulfill his responsibility. And so Tamar ended up uh, kind of coming up with a scheme to act as a prostitute on the road, and then Judah went into her. She had a son, and his name was Perez. And that's the family <laughs> that Boaz is from, right? So this, this happened before. 
Does God care about it being done the right way, right? Does God care about the name being preserved? Well, obviously so, because when Judah's son didn't do his responsibility, God killed him for it, right? And we're told that. So is it important for Boaz to do this the right way? Yeah. Does anyone else care that it's important? Not during this time, really, right? Not that we know of. But God cares. And Boaz cares. I find it really interesting that when Boaz is going through this process from verses 1 through 10, that everybody seems to know what's happening here, right? Everyone understands what's going on, right? We're at the beginning of the gate. Okay, we get the elders. Okay, we get the guy. And we're talking and we're having this process. And we say, do you want to buy the field? And he says, yes, I want to buy the field. Okay, well, if you buy the field, then you get the wife. And you have to have a child. And then that field's going to go back to that child, right? He says, that messes up everything for me. So no, thank you. And so we give the sandal, right? Again, we're talking about different cultures, right? Our giving of the sandal now would be signing the contract, right? Maybe putting in an electronic pin as well, right? Again, 30 years from now, people may think that's strange. Um, but everybody knows this process. So it comes back to what we talked about before, which is somebody knows the law, right? Somebody's teaching the law right now. So what does that say during the time of judges and the people who are failing following God, but somehow are still keeping sections of the law? I think what that says is what we see today, which is people care about what they want to do and they don't care about what they don't, right? Yeah, pick and choose. If I want to do it, I'll do it. And if I don't, if it's too bothersome, I won't do it. Brian. I was just going to point out that I think that really highlights that redemption should cost something. Yeah. And I think it's just interesting that the first guy is all about redemption when it's going to increase his inheritance for his own family. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to spend my money to get more land and build out my wealth, but that's, that's not redemption. That's certainly not the picture of redemption that we see in the New Testament. Uh, redemption, buying us back from our sins, cost God something. He had to give up his son and here we see Boaz acting as that picture. Boaz is willing to give up something. He is willing to pay this price and pay this cost, knowing that he is not enlarging his own inheritance. You know, he is doing this for the good of somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know Boaz's situation as far as, is Boaz married already? I have no idea. Does he have children already? I don't, I don't know, right? We don't know. Could he? Sure, he could. Um. But all we know of is this, this specific situation, and it is, it is a cost, like you said. It's, it's going to cost him something. He's going to lose, you know, his responsibility or as far as, like, his, his inheritance, his, the name of his child. It goes to somebody else, right? It's, it's coming. He's fulfilling somebody else's family there. Um, this idea of redeemer is an idea that we see over and over and over in the scriptures, right? So, obviously... This example, we see it as an example of things to come, right? This is something that we see in the New Testament of Christ redeeming us from our sins. In Jeremiah, it's repeated over and over and over again, right? The Lord is your redeemer. It's in there like 20 plus times. The Lord is your redeemer. I think 
if we're looking at Ruth and we see, oh, this is a great story about a, a daughter-in-law who supports her mother-in-law through a horrible time, and she she's there for her, and she uh, she's loyal to her, and she goes with her, and she chooses the people of God over her foreign nation and her foreign family. And then at the end, the, the man, he, she finds this love who's Boaz, and he marries her, and he just takes care of them all, and it's so happy at the end. Um, if we think that, we got part of it, but I think we're missing a bigger, a bigger section, right? Boaz, like Brian mentioned, isn't just preserving Naomi and taking care of Naomi in her old age and taking care of Ruth and giving him a, a son and a grandson to further on the family name. He is keeping that family from disappearing off the earth, right? Without Boaz, that family no longer exists. When Naomi dies and Ruth dies, that family's gone at this point. But Boaz steps in and redeems them, right? When we think about this idea of redemption, it is not just taking care of somebody and giving them what they need at the time, and then we're done, right? It's going beyond that when we think about Christ, when we think about what Boaz is doing here, right? Yeah, you're honoring and respecting both God and his law and his plan. You're, you know, this isn't something that, I mean, obviously they're, they're kind of treating it as something that, yeah, well, it could happen or it could not happen, right? It, well, if the one guy doesn't do it and I don't want to do it, well, then maybe it just doesn't happen. But the intent of the law is when your brother dies, you do this, right? There is no other option. It's not a choice that you make. It's something that's just done is, is the way it's intended. Um, and I think Boaz treats it that way. Yeah, he respects God's law enough to fulfill the command and fulfill it in the right way, right? There's somebody before him, okay, that's fine. We will see if they want to f- fulfill their responsibility. If not, then I will, right? Any other comments on that? So Boaz goes to the gate, he sits down there, he grabs the close relative, right? Again, we're not waiting around, right? We go to the gate. Where's the guy going to come into the town from? Well, he's going to come in from the gate, so we're going to grab him there. We're also going to grab 10 elders while we're there. Why do you need the elders? Witnesses, right? You got to have witnesses. Why do you need people to watch you sign for your house? You need witnesses, right? Okay. Um, So he grabs the witnesses, they sit down, and then he gives them the plan, right? Naomi has a piece of land. I love how Boaz does this because it's, it's really very, very smart, right? Boaz is a smart guy. He knows how to set it up, right? So he, he tells him about the land. Hey, there's this great piece of land you could have. Naomi's got to sell it because she has nothing else. So she's got to sell it. You get first pick. Do you want the land? And he says, yeah. And then he says, okay, great. Now you get a wife. He says, whoa, <laughs> right? Nobody told me about that. Okay. Um, and so they exchange the shoe, as it were. Um, this is different from what you see in Deuteronomy. Um, 
of in Deuteronomy chapter 25, when it's talking about taking the shoe from the individual, it's a sign of shame for a brother who is not fulfilling his responsibility to redeem the family, right? I think it's very intentional that the passage here explains that verse 7, it is the custom in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter about removing the sandal. This is an action that is taken to confirm that this relative no longer is exercising his right at redemption. He is passing it on to another, right? And how do you prove that? Well, you prove that because Boaz has his shoe. Okay. Right, how did Tamar prove that Judah was the one that she had relations with? Well, it's because she had his cord, right? She had his stuff and she could prove it, right? That I am not guilty of harlotry. This was done to fulfill the redemption, right? So it's not an act of shame. It's just a confirmation of the agreement, right? That we are fulfilling this. And so uh, Boaz tells the elders and the people that they are witnesses today that he has bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth uh, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Small acts have big consequences. Um, Boaz didn't know at the time when he redeemed Ruth that it would lead to his son having a son who had a son who became king. I mean, Boaz wouldn't know that. Uh, Boaz wouldn't know that his actions here would preserve a family line that's going to be included in the genealogy of Christ, who will then save the world. Right, Boaz didn't know that. What did Boaz know? He knew the law. He knew the right thing to do. He knew the character of Ruth. He knew the actions Ruth had done to assist, encourage, care for his relative Naomi. And so Boaz did the right thing. It's amazing what doing the right thing can accomplish, right? Small acts can have big consequences for the good or for the bad. And in this case, it's for the good, right? Now, uh, you have the comments after of the elders saying, may you be blessed like Rachel and Leah, which, you know, we have, okay, we have hindsight. We look at the story of Rachel and Leah. That's not great. But yeah, they had a lot of kids and they built the nation. That, that's good. Um, not the family idols part. Um, and then may you be blessed like the, the children of Perez Tamar gave Perez, the son of Judah. Well, that wasn't a great story either. But yeah, okay, I see the family, right? We're going from the patriarch on down. Um, Again, I think that 
is showing how over time we tend to grab the good things and forget about the bad things. Um, And we need to be careful about that because that can kind of whitewash how we study, how we read some of these stories, how we see some of the characters, right? Again, these are all people, regular people living in their time. And in this case of Ruth and Boaz, they're fulfilling the law at a time where that's not the most common thing, right? And so this is the story of Ruth. You have this great tragedy of Naomi losing her husband, losing her two sons, leaving a land of Moab with her daughter-in-law who shows great, a great act of loyalty. You have a plan and some providential interactions between Ruth and Boaz that lead to Naomi having a plan that could lead to the redemption of her family line by this man, Boaz. And then you have a great act of loyalty in Boaz fulfilling his role and redeeming Ruth at the end And that includes Naomi. And you have the great joy Naomi has being restored with a grandson that she's helping raise. So next week, we'll begin Esther. And we'll follow that theme of providence, uh, God's providence, through another group of people living in their time, uh, trying to do the right thing. All right, thank you very much.